And our lesson here today is entitled, Life's Treacherous Road and God's Provision. And my scripture text here that we have at the top is pretty well what our entire scripture reading is going to be about here tonight. And I want to talk to you about something that God has put on my heart to talk to you about, about a parable that Jesus gave, and many of you are familiar with it. I'm aware of it. But I want to talk to you here tonight a little bit and talk to you how that applies to us today. What has that got to do with us? And there were different individuals that were involved in this uh, parable that Jesus gave. And uh, I'm going to read the uh, first verse. I'll not read it all the way through. I'll take one part at a time as we go along and just talk to you about whatever we whatever, however the the parable leads us to. I want you to look at verse 30. This goes from 30 through 35, as you can see from our scripture text up here. And I want to start here with Luke 10, 30. And I want you to look with me very carefully here. A certain man, a certain man, this is what it says here in the very beginning, Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And before I get into his trip, let me just say this, that it doesn't say anything about the man himself. It doesn't say who he was. I've got some, some, just some statements here uh, that he was a traveler. Uh, he was a man who was uh, going from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and uh, he may have been a merchant. He might have just been a visitor going to Jericho to visit a loved one maybe a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister, maybe his parents. He doesn't say, or he might have just been a visitor passing through because there were those who passed through that area and so forth. And this man, it doesn't say anything about him. He was just a man traveling. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this here. This is a type of any of us, any of us in life, we're just everyday people. Any one of us can be someone who gets in trouble like this guy got into. We can get into it and have gotten into it maybe in times past before the Lord came our way. And consequently, the Lord is able to help us whenever nobody else can help us. Praise God. So things can happen to individuals. And this is what happened to this man. He was on a journey, so he was a traveler. Jesus answered, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, let me uh, show you here on a map uh, what that distance is. This is just a real simple map here of Palestine. And uh, this is this is uh, this is uh, Judah. This is this is the New Testament version of it. And uh, this is Judea. This is Samaria. This is uh, Galilee, this is Pernia, uh, and so forth. Whenever the Jews travel, they travel from here to here. They seldom ever went through Samaria. They would nearly always go over here and go down and cross the river or come down on this side. Seldom ever crossed it, but they would stay on this side of it, down at the low level of the Jordan River and follow it up and cross over and go over here and then cross over into Galilee. 
when they travel from Galilee, they would do the same thing coming back down here. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But I want you to notice here the distance. This is Jerusalem, and this is Jericho right here. This is Jerusalem, this is Jericho. It's a distance in here of about 15 to 20 miles, not very far, 15, 20 miles. So whenever this man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, he's only going to go about a distance of about 15, 20 miles. Uh, I don't know how far that is. John, about how far would it be to the high school over here where we had that John Johnson? He's assistant principal there, so I figured he might know how far? Fifteen? Oh, ten? Oh, eleven, right? You're doing like this. Six. Oh, it's about six miles. Okay. All right. So uh, I guess 20, 15, 20 miles would be up like around North Melbourne. I don't know. Okay, but you can figure it all out. But what I am trying to say here is that uh, this altitude dropped from here to here. It dropped 4,000 feet going from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jerusalem is, uh, I think it was uh, 200 and, I don't know, 2,300, something like that, above sea level. And Jericho was like, uh, like 1,700 below sea level. And somewhere in between there is the sea level point. Now, we were, on, we were over in Israel. I've been on that road that they've got there. We were in Israel here several years ago, and we took that road, went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and we followed it. And when we got to the sea level point, we stopped on our little our van or whatever bus that we had, and they had camels out there, and people could get out, and we ride the camel at sea level before we went down even a lower level than that. We had to drop even yet another 1,700 feet below that to get to Jericho. And anyhow, it was just a point that we did that. The interesting about it thing about it is that that road that we travel on was a newer road today than what they had back then, and a newer road than what they had even some maybe 50, 30 years ago. Uh, we were there about 25 years ago, and uh, we had a, a, a we had a, a guy named Amos, and Amos says, "I'm going to take you from Jerusalem to Jericho on the old road. Are you up to it?" I said, "Yes, we will." And folks, that road was twisting and turning and twisting and turning. It wasn't just going like this. It was this as up, down, around, back. I mean, it was like a snake, and we followed that road all the way down, and it was a treacherous road in a vehicle. We had a little, uh, we had a little van that we were in, and I'm telling you, there are times when I didn't know if that thing was going to flip over. That road was so steep and so narrow. Well, this was the kind of road that this man was traveling on, on foot, or maybe he had a donkey, I don't know, but it doesn't say anything about an animal involved here except later on. But it talks about him making this journey down this road on this very treacherous road. Now, life is like that. Life's got a lot of pitfalls. It's got a lot of ups and downs. It's got a lot of twists and turns. 
it, it, it can go in every kind of direction. You never know what's around the next corner. That's just life. That's just life. And I'm going to read the next part of it to you because here's what happened to this man. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Fell among thieves. They were waiting for him. Not him in particular, just whoever came by. Just waiting for somebody to come along. They were waiting for him. And he had no idea that it was going to happen to him. And it goes on to say here, he went down and fell among thieves which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, I'm going to take this away and I'll come back to it a little bit later on. But I'm just showing you here where that this... Uh, this man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. He dropped about 4,000 feet. He fell among thieves. They stripped him, wounded him, left him half dead. Now, before I go any further, let me just say this to you today. Life is like that. There's things, folks, out there in that old world that if a young person goes in the wrong direction, in this life, he could get all messed up fast. You can get into drugs. You can get into alcoholism. You can get into gambling. You can get into porno stuff. It goes on and on and on and on. I mean, all kinds of things can happen. And it's always like, oh, well, I'll be okay. But no, no, it'll beat you up. It'll strip you of everything you have. It'll tear you down. It'll leave you by the wayside dying, half dead. And this has happened to a lot of people. And I'm happy to say that we've got people in this church now who are top-notch children of God, who have been in places like that, and God saved them and brought them out and have turned their life around because Jesus does those kind of things. Praise the Lord. That's what he does. So this man is a type of the things that can happen to any one of us. It can leave us all banged up and bruised up and leave us by the wayside. And, uh, and it can be just a, a, a real bad situation. Alcohol, drugs, smoking cigarettes, spitting tobacco juice. Oh, my Lord. When I was a kid, it seemed like all the men smoked cigarettes and they'd flip their hot cigarettes out there on the ground. It's, you know, let me just say this. In my home, my, my children know this, too, when they were growing up. In my parents' home, there was always people coming and going. They were, they were really uh, sort of an open. Our house was always full of company. People coming, cousins, uncles, aunts, relatives. Friends, they were always coming. Uh, we'd go drive up there even after we moved here, and we'd drive up there on, for Thanksgiving, and there's always a big house full of people, always. You get up there on Christmas, always a big house full of people. Yeah, my dad and mom, they just, everybody's welcome. Y'all come on, just join us, you know. That was the way it was. And I can remember as a kid, them guys smoking cigarettes and being out on the front porch, women inside cooking or whatever they're doing, just visiting men outside smoking. And they're talking. I'm sitting around the porch. 
They'd flip them cigarettes out there, and you run around barefooted with the rest of the kids your age, little kids, you know, seven, eight years old, five years old, ten years, whatever you were, running around and step on them hot cigarettes. Oh, my goodness, burn your foot, and, and, and it's just one of them things. Or I had an old aunt that dipped snuff. Now, number you don't know about that, but that's like chewing tobacco. And then they'd spit. Now, you, some of you got to be old-timers to know what all this stuff is. It's tobacco, though. It's tobacco. They'd spit that stuff out like that, and it hit the splatter like that. And if you ever stepped in one of them, you had to go find a water hose and wash between your toes and get all that mess out of your, your bottom of your feet. Okay, I'm just saying people had all kinds of habits, and they get they hang on to you, and they'll pull you down, drag you down. My dad had a smoking habit. He smoked cigarettes for 30 years. And when he got saved, he couldn't give up that cigarette habit. And uh, he went back in. There's a, a woman evangelist. He went to church with my mother. And he said, I don't like women. I don't like women preachers. I'm, I'm all a man preacher. And there's a woman preacher preaching there. And he said, oh, well, okay. She preached him to the altar. He gave his heart to God, prayed through, got the Holy Ghost. But he couldn't give up the smoking. This was like on a Sunday night. And on Tuesday, he went back to church. They skipped Monday night for a rest night. And they went back on Tuesday night. And he said to the woman evangelist, he said, I got a problem. He said, I'm back to smoking today. And I came. she said, come up here, Brother Myers, and we're going to pray for you. Sister Willie Johnson. Any of you old timers out there ever know? Okay, I see some hands. She was a powerful preacher. And uh, Sister Willie Johnson said, come up here, Brother Myers. She wore a white, always a white type of a gown thing. And uh, he came up there. And uh, she got down in front of him and said, we're going to cast the devil. You've got a cigarette demon in you. And we're going to cast that devil out of you. He said, all right. She said, she, he said she laid one hand on his head and the other one on his throat like this. <laughs> And began to rebuke that old devil, cigarette devil in him, and rebuke that devil and cast that devil out. And he said, all of a sudden, he felt a big belch, burp. Just come, I'm, this is okay. I know we're not having dinner yet. You know, <laughs> big burp came up through him, and he belched. And he said, it tastes like old tobacco, and it just burped a big old belch. And he said, from that moment on, he never had another desire for cigarettes after those, even though he'd smoked for thirty years. Never touched him ever again, right on the rest of his life. Died a child of God and uh, living for the Lord, and I'm sure he's with the Lord to this day. Now, I'm only saying that, that there's all kinds of vices and sins that can grip a person. And some of them are very severe, and they can leave you. This guy was left half dead, by the way. But there's hope. Oh, my, there's hope. Let's see, let's see what happens. Look at the 31st verse. Everybody with me here? Number two here, Luke 10, 31. And it says, And by chance there came down there came down a certain priest that way. Oh, thank God. A clergyman. Somebody that's in touch with the Lord. Somebody that's religious. He came down, a priest of all things. A priest was a very high, sophisticated position among the Jews in those days. And man, how lucky could the guy get to have a priest coming his way. Now, look what it says about it. 
a chance there came down a certain priest that way. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. The guy must have been laying on one side of the road and the priest came and looked and saw him. But he went way over on the other side, stayed as far away from him as he could. You know why the priest did that? Let me show you something. I want you to go with me here to uh, Leviticus. It's in your scriptures right there. Leviticus. Leviticus 21. Now, he was at fault, and I'm going to show you how he was at fault. This is over Leviticus 21.10. I'm going to read 10 and 11 to you, those two verses. He that is the high priest among the brethren, the high priest, now remember that, upon whose head the anointing oil was poured, and that is consecrated to put on the garments shall not uncover his head nor rent his clothes. Look at verse 11. Neither shall he go in to any dead body, nor defile himself for his father or for his mother. If his mother or father dies, he can't go in and see their dead body. But you know who this is talking about? Look back up in 10. And he that is the high priest, the high priest. This is not talking about the other priests because there were many priests and they all had their jobs that they did. They had different things. They'd go into the temple, the tabernacle at first and then the temple after it was built. And they had to light the candle and change the showbread. They had to put on incense and the, the altar of incense. Various duties that they had working with that that tabernacle, offering sacrifices at the brazen altar. But the high priest was the one that was over above all of them. But with him, he was not—he was required not to go to near a dead body. This guy was not a high priest here in, in Luke chapter 10. He wasn't a high priest. Look what it says. And by chance there came down a certain priest. But you know what? He's thinking, one day I may be the high priest... And I, so I, I don't want to get near a dead body. And I don't know if that guy's dead or not. Let's see. He's over there. He, he's not, he's not moving. And he may not be dead, but he may be dead. And I don't want to contam contaminate myself. Not that it's against God's will for me to go there in my state and the, the, where I am now, but. In the future, should I become the high priest, I will not want to have been near a dead body. All he needed was a good excuse, and he went on the other side. Now, Brother Myers, what's that got to do with us today? Let me, say, let me just tell you something here today, folks. There are people who wear clergy clothes, but they're not going to do you any good. They're not going to do you any good. They may look the part, they may have their collar on backwards, but they can't do anything for you. They can't do anything for you. You could be under addictions and struggles and problems and, and just swamped and be like the man lying by the wayside dying. And there's nothing that they can do. Nothing that they can do. Uh... You know what a vicar is? If you're in England, the vicar is a 
priests in the Episcopal, well, this Church of England in England is over here is the Episcopal Church called the Vicar. Uh, the Vicar of Christ in the Roman Catholic Church is the Pope. The word vicar means substitute for or in the place of, in the place of. So the word vicar of Christ in the Catholic Church means the Pope is in the place of Christ in the church. And he can't do it. He can't do anything. He can't, he can't, he can't, he can't take away your drugs. He can't take away your bad habits. He can't deliver you from what you've been through. And I'm just saying that no clergy can do that. I'm going to tell you in a few, few moments here how we can have relief from that. There is a relief. But it's not through just clergymen in general. Not the clergymen. Now, look at the next verse. Look at verse 32 here. I'll come back to that one about the priest in a moment. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place. Now, the priest came by, he passed on the other side, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side and went on his way and put it all behind him. The guy may be dead, and I don't have best with it. Now, the Levite. Now, the Levite is sort of a layman. He's a, uh, he is a religious person, and he serves in, 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 with, with helping the priests in handling all the affairs to do with the religious thing. It does not offer sacrifices, does not go inside the temple, but he can do things of bringing things there and, and, and opening doors and doing all kind of things that they do and so forth, making the olive oil for the anointing and so forth. They can do a lot of those kind of things. But this guy was a Levite, and he was in a lesser condition than the priest as far as spirituality is concerned. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, he came and he saw the guy. And there was nothing about him staying away from dead bodies. Now look what happened to him. He was at the place and came and looked on him. He walked over to where he was and looked down at him. And said, this guy's in bad shape and he needs some help right now. He needs some bad, he needs some help right now. But wait a minute. The Levite said, what if them robbers are still around here? What if the people that got to him is still right around here someplace? I better get on down the road. It's getting late in the day. And I'm going to have to move on here or I may be the next victim. He was thinking only of himself. And he got out of there. And he did nothing because he really could do nothing. Nobody can help you but the right one. And I want to talk about him next. And that's the one that the Bible talks about here. Now I'm going to move on here a little bit further. And so it says, he came, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. He came over and looked at him. And then walked back on the other side and went on around. Did the same thing. Showing the fallacy of religious, religions trying to help us. Now let me move on a little bit further here in verse 33. Luke 10, 33. A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, 
came where he was. A certain Samaritan. I'm going to talk to you about this Samaritan here in a moment. Let me tell you what the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles. I showed you this map while ago. And this is Samaria right in here. And the Jews, as they would travel, they would always travel down here and go up and cross over into Perea and go up, cross over to Galilee. This is the way they travel so they would not have to go through Samaria because the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. The Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles. Now, 500 years, 700 years before Christ, the north, the Israel was divided into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern, the northern kingdom was called Israel, the southern was called, was called Judah. That's where the word Jew comes from. The northern kingdom was very wicked, and in 721 B.C., the Lord allowed them to be conquered by the Assyrian nations. They were a people that was up what we know today as north, northern Iran, northern Iran. And their capital city was Nineveh. Well, anyhow, they conquered Israel. And when they conquered them, they took many Jews out and conquered them and scattered them out among the Gentiles and other countries. And then they took a lot of those Gentile people and brought them in and put them in Samaria and said, now you live here. Those Jews and those, and those Gentiles intermarried and mixed together. They became half Jews and half Gentiles. Later on, the southern kingdom began to fail God called Judah. And the Lord allowed the Babylonians to come in and conquer them. They were taken captive. And for 70 years, they were in captivity. That was Daniel. That was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were over in that country in the Babylon area. I also included Ezekiel and, and, uh, and uh, Jeremiah and so forth. They're all in that period of time. Now, the reason I'm telling you all of that is because that these, uh, these Samaritans did not like when the Jews came back to rebuild their, their city, Jerusalem, and their temple. They were allowed to come back by the Persians. And the Persians said, okay, now you can go back. It was prophesied that that would happen, and they did. And they went back, and they started around a man called, named Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel. He was a direct descendant of David. And he was their governor. And so he began to say, okay, build the temple, and they started building and so forth. Well, these Samaritans opposed them. They fought them. They didn't like them doing it. They said, we're as much Jews as you are. And they said, no, you have nothing to do with us. And so they, this friction and this faction between them stayed that way for another 400 years. When Jesus came, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, let me uh, have you go over here to John a minute. I'm going to show you something. John chapter 4. Let me uh, take this off. And this is where we are here. John chapter 4. Right here is where we are. And I want you to look at 4-4. Four, four. In fact, look at verse 3. This is, three, this is entering 4-3. He, Jesus, with his disciples, left Judea, that's the southern, down the southern part of the map that I showed you, and departed again into Galilee. 
Then you can go up into the northern part. Now, remember I said they always crossed the river and went up on Perea's side. And Look what it says here. And he must needs go through Samaria. Ah, Jesus chose to go right through Samaria. That was unusual that he would do that. Now, I'm going to jump down to verse 6 here. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being weary, wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, which is between 11 and 12 o'clock in the morning. There, came, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria, verse 9, unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? Now notice here, she was aware of the friction and the unusual nature of him asking a Samaritan for a drink of water. A Samaritan. For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. I won't go any further with it because that's not our point. The point is... The statement that's made here, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. And that was pretty common. So when Jesus over here, uh, back in this uh, part of Luke uh, chapter 10, when he says here in verse 33, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. Jesus used a Samaritan as the good guy. You understand what I'm saying? He used the Samaritan here to these Jews that he was talking to. So he used the Samaritan. He came where he was. Now look what the Samaritan did. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. Now stay me for a minute here. I want to liken the Good Samaritan unto Jesus Christ, folks, because he's the only one who really cares about our situations. In this church, in our 50 years of being here, and many of you that's been around a while, you've seen it yourself. We've had some people come to this church. I mean, their lives were all broken up. They were in bad shape. There was problems in their lives like you would not believe. They were up to their eyebrows in all kinds of problems, troubles, heartbreaks, situations, conditions. I mean, it just existed. But I want you to know something. Jesus Christ can fix any kind of a situation. He can take away addictions. You can be a drug addict. We've got people in this church that some of the best saints you've ever seen. They used to shoot the needle in their arm. Years ago, years ago, they put needle in their arm. They had to have that drugs. Some of you, some of you may have been in some other thing. I don't, and I don't know every situation. Some of you were alcoholics. You're alcoholics. But Jesus, praise the Lord, is the answer. And the Lord, praise the Lord, can take away all of those vices and all of those things. I don't care what it is. And the world likes to say, because we can't do it, nobody can do it. They're wrong. They're wrong. That's why when you come to the Lord, folks, lay it all on the altar. And say, Jesus, take it all away from me. If I've got bad habits, take them all away from me. Lord, I give it all up. I turn it all over to you, Lord. 
just like my dad with the cigarette situation. And many of you with the alcohol, alcoholism, just took it all away. I remember we were working on the church one time. We had a couple of brethren that was working on our church. And they had gotten saved recently. And I won't name names here. They were working on our church. And they were up on the roof working. And a guy drove by and stopped and backed up and walked over. And I was just standing out in the front yard or front of the church looking up at everything where they were working. And he said, is that so-and-so and so-and-so up there on that roof? I said, yeah. He said, uh, they're working on a church? I said, yeah. I said, back they're members of this congregation. They're members of this congregation? I said, yeah. He said, man, that blows my socks off. Because, see, I know them as somebody that had to have their beer before, hardly before 10 o'clock, and, and I had to bring it on the job for them, you know. I'm just trying to tell you here, folks. And when God saved them, he took it all away. Filled them with the Holy Ghost. They never touched it ever again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm just saying that the Lord can do anything. And he can take away gambling habits. He can take away all that porno stuff that people can get all mixed up and messed up in. Take it all away, but you've got to let him help you to do it. Praise the Lord. But Jesus is the only one that can do it all, folks. And he can do it. He can do it. He can do it. And we've got to leave it in the hands of the Lord for him to take care of it. Praise the Lord. So Jesus is like this. Samaritan, this good Samaritan, because he had compassion on the guy. He had compassion on him. Jesus is one that has compassion. Praise the Lord. Uh, let me, uh, I want you to look with me over here in Matthew chapter 20. I think that's in our scriptures here. Matthew 20 and 29, 30. Look at these for a moment here. When the Samaritan saw them, he had compassion. Look at Matthew 20, 29. Matthew 20, 29. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, this is Jesus now traveling in his earthly ministry. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, Lord, thou son of David. I'm jumping down to verse 34 just to save time in reading. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now what I'm just simply showing you here is that this is a scripture that shows us where Jesus had compassion. This is found all through the Bible. Look at Mark 140. Mark 140. There came a leper to him, beseeching him and kneeling down to him, saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion. Isn't it amazing how the Lord could be touched? I mean, Jesus, in all this power that he had, he could be touched with this compassion that he had for people. When he fed the, the 5,000, the Bible says that he had compassion upon the multitude. 
he fed one time 5,000 men besides the women and children. Another time he says he fed 4,000 men besides women and children. First time they had seven baskets left over. Second time they had 12 baskets. Or was it reverse? I don't remember. Whatever. He did it twice, though. Two different groups. Both times the Bible said he had compassion upon the people because they, they were weary. They'd been following him. They had no food. There was no food for them. They'd have to take hours and hours for them. They didn't even have the money to buy the food. And the Lord said, I've got compassion on him. I'm going to finish reading this down. This is 41st verse. Now I'm reading here in, in Mark 1, 40. And in verse 41 says, And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him. This is the leper now that needed a touch from God. And he touched him. And he said, I will be thou clean. Jesus said that. Verse 42, And as soon as... As he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. So I'm just trying to show you here the compassion that Jesus had. All through the Bible, it talks about the compassion of Christ. I'll give you one more here. This is in Luke 7, 12. Then when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Her husband was dead. But she had a son. Now her son has died. And much people in the city was with her. Look at verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now, I'm trying to tell you here today that Jesus, praise the Lord, folks can be touched by our infirmities. It says that. And he had compassion on them. He'll have compassion on us. When nothing else works, Jesus will have compassion upon us. Praise the Lord. It goes on to say here, and uh, and and, and let me finish reading here. He had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And she's thinking, weep not. My son's died. I can't weep. He came and touched the buyer, and they that bare him stood up. Still, I mean, and he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Now, I'm just trying to show you this great miracle where Jesus raised somebody from the dead because he simply had compassion. Nobody asked him. The mother didn't go there and said, will you do this? Nobody. But Jesus simply moved in touch with compassion to it. I'm trying to show you here that Jesus is one with compassion. And when you read about the Samaritan over here, This is the way the Lord described him. Verse 33. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He didn't say, I better get out of here. I may get, you know, I may get zapped with somebody. They may be around a corner. They may say, you know, they may be looking for me. He didn't say that. He said, this man needs help. And I can do something about it. And Jesus can do something about our condition. He can help us, folks, when nobody else can help us. Praise the Lord. Now, I want you to look here in this 34th verse. And went to him. He had compassion on me. And went to him. And then look what he did. Bound up his wounds. Bound up his wounds. I got it listed here. Number two. Poured in oil and wine. What's that got to do with anything? You know why the wine is poured in? It's got alcohol in it. Alcohol, alcohol kills germs. 
How many of you know that? <laughs> alcohol kills germs. And so the wine had alcohol in it. It's got an alcohol base to it. I think normal, normal wine has between 7 and 14% alcohol. But the, the wine you buy in the store, they'll jazz it up to almost up to 28% alcohol content. Incidentally, I threw that out for whatever it's worth. Yeah, so when you go say, oh, I'm going to get a bottle of wine because they drink wine in the Bible, it's a little different today than when it used to be back then. I won't go any further with it, but anyhow, <laughs> wine has an alcohol base to it. So anyhow, he poured in oil in wine. Oil is, a, is a, soothes it. Wine will burn, but this guy was half dead, and I don't know if he felt anything hardly. And then he set him on his own beast. This guy had a little donkey, I guess, that was traveling with him, or he was, or maybe he was riding on him. And he put the man on his own beast, and he walked and let the man set or lay across his beast, the donkey, and brought him to an inn, brought him to an inn. That's one of those uh, Motel 6s along the way. <laughs> Whatever you want to call it, you know, just a little place that you can stop for the night and, and everything. Went to an inn and took care of him. Look at that. He didn't just leave him there and say, well, I'm going to, I've done my part. I'm out of here. Folks, he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Now, I'm trying to tell you here that Jesus can save us out of all kinds of walks of life. And the next thing he will do is to take us to the inn. Guess where the inn is? You're sitting in it. It's a type of the church. Praise the Lord. It's the body of Christ, and we have a house here in which we come and worship the Lord. And people get saved. The Lord saves them and puts them in the church, puts them in our care. I'm going to talk to you a little bit further about this now. This is where I want to really talk to you. He puts them in the church. And so he took this guy off the street, and they come to us all kinds of shapes and fashions and places. And I mean, every kind of way. I can tell you stories. I've had people that's not here today, that's now in other areas of life, they've come back here just to say thank you, Brother Myers, and thank you, uh, but we used to be First Pentecostal Church. Now we're East Winds Church. Same thing. Uh, thank you, church, for being friends to me. Thank you for helping me. Thank you for being there for me. Praise the Lord. And when people get saved and they're put in the hands of the church, folks, it's not over with. It's not over with. They have to be made to feel comfortable. They've got to be taken care of. They've got to be loved. They've got to be cared for. They've got to be helped along the way, and Jesus expects that of the end. I'm going to show you that here in the Scriptures. Because the Bible says, He brought him to the end and took care of the man. All night long, He made sure he was going to be okay. <coughs> brought him to an end, took care of him. Now look at, see here, Luke 10.35. This is the last verse here in our lesson. Look at it. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence. Now, a pence was a day's wages. That's what it was back then. A pence represented a day's wages. He took out two pence 
two days' wages and gave them to the host, that is the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. Now, when the Lord saves people out of that world, he puts them in our hands, folks. And for us to take care of them, help them, strengthen them, encourage them, love them, show kindness to them, let them know that we care about them. I, uh, I have, a, have a piece of paper here called the mission field within. This is what you don't want to do. The mission field within. Things that will keep me from coming back to your church. Refuse to see me. It's easy to spot visitors. They don't know where, where they are, where they're going. They don't know what they're doing. They're sort of lost. They're in a house here. They don't know who's who. So just don't even pay no attention to them. Just let them wandering around. That's how to lose out with them. Don't offer me a smile. This is one of them like he's talking back now to the church. Don't offer me any smile, but we should. Neglect offering my help, me help. Visitors don't know what you know. Abstain from introducing yourself. That's what you should do. Walk and say, introduce, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so, brother so-and-so. You see somebody new in the church, befriend them. Tell them that you're happy they're there. Tell them that you're glad they're part of us. If anything I can do, let me know. Do you understand what I'm saying here? And this is what the innkeeper, I preached a message years ago entitled, uh, about the, the, the innkeeper, praise the Lord, all about the innkeeper. And, uh, God's looking for a few good innkeepers. And folks, our job, we're saved and we're walking with God. But it's not just for us to come and say, I'm just interested only in my own world, but to be concerned about the other people in the, in, the, in the house of God, in the church. Sometimes people are going through trials. They're going through some tests. And they need to be encouraged. They need to be loved. They need to be told that we believe in you. We trust in you. We know you can, you can make it. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Praise the Lord. And that's what we do, praise the Lord, as being so-called innkeepers. We look after those that Jesus has put into our trust. Praise the Lord. It's not enough to say, okay, you've got a church here now. You just, whatever the preacher preaches, just do it. And excuse me, I, I've got to go. I'm out of the way. You're in my way. Uh, another one here. Forget that I'm a person who wants to be known. People like to be they want you to know who they are. Practice active listening. Then another one here is if you don't want to do the right thing, ignore my boundaries. I may be an introvert or a private person. I may not want to answer your questions. Don't take it personally. Sometimes we said, who are you? Where you came from? What's your background? Who's your mom and dad? Blah, 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 blah. People don't want to be questioned a whole lot. They're, they're quiet about it. That's okay. Just say, I just want to be, let you know I want to be your friend. And if I'm never not that way, folks, forgive me. I really try to be. And, and I, we should all be that way with new people that come our way. And 
I don't always know who's new and who's not new, and you, but you know sometime by who is sitting where you are and close to where you are. But be kind to them and show that kindness because that's being a good innkeeper. Praise the Lord. And uh, so the Bible would, tells us that we need to know that we should be this to people and to help them. Praise the Lord. Now, go a little bit further here. The next day when the Samaritan left, he paid the bill, number one, 35. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him. You take care of him. That's what Jesus says to us. Now take care of him. I've brought a guy out of sin out there. Some of them out of drugs, some out of alcoholism, some out of all kinds of junk, mess, all kind of stuff out there. That's okay. That's okay. God can save anybody. And he says here, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, if it's more than what you spend, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now, let me just say one word here today, folks. Whatever you spend on trying to help people to serve God and walk with God and to know the Lord and to love Jesus, whatever you do and whatever money you may spend, don't you ever worry about it. The Lord's going to pay you back. And if you don't get it back in this life, he'll bring it with him when he comes. Praise the Lord, because he's coming back again. He's coming back this way. Hallelujah. And when he does, he's going to take care of us. And I just want to encourage you here, praise the Lord, to be willing to do that. And don't do shy or backward about any of these kind of things. But the Lord wants us, praise the Lord, to know that we can trust him, that he will always look after us, that he will care for us, and that he will put people in our trust, and that we are to love them, care for them, help them, do what we can for them. Are you comfortable? Can we get anything for you? Can I show you anything that you like to, you know, do? Some people are looking for a friend. They need a friend. Praise the Lord. Everybody, when they come into the church, folks, needs to have a friend. We all need to have a friend. We need to have a friend. Find somebody to be a friend to. And just let them know, I want to be your friend, and I am your friend. Praise God. And I'm telling you... Praise the Lord. One of these days, Jesus is coming back and we're going to all walk streets of gold. And the people that you help to walk with the Lord and stay saved and get rid of all that garbage and mess in their life back there. The people that you help. Praise the Lord. One day they walk streets of gold with you. Praise the Lord. And God says that we'll be blessed beyond measure. I remember years ago, uh, my, my son, who is the pastor of this church, my daughter, who's sitting back here now and has a Ph.D., and I'm so proud of her for that, and uh, in education. I remember when they were just small children, and uh, my wife and I took them to the uh, Florida camp meeting. And uh, I never will forget this, long as I live. I remember that we... Uh, and this, and this is a dream that I had. I'm sorry, I had a, I had a dream on this. I was dreaming. I was living in Port St. Joe, but I was dreaming I was at the campground. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, 
and I was thinking about all kind of material things. I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do that. I'm trying to grow the church. I'm trying to pastor up the people. And I'm trying to make a living for my family and take care of pay all my bills and help pay the church's bills and so forth. It was just all of it just coming down on me. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I had this dream. And I dreamed I was in the old Cala campground, came out of the old tabernacle way back then. Was walking down like toward a concession stand way over there. And all of a sudden, the eastern sky lit up. This is in my dream now. And I heard shouts and voices going up. And somebody says, the Lord is coming. It's the Lord. He has come. And I saw that sky begin to glow. It was nighttime and it began to light up. And I remember that I reached over and took my daughter by her hand, took my wife by her hand. My wife took my hand and took my son's hand on her side. And we started walking toward the light. And folks, there was one thought, listen to me carefully, one thought went through my mind. The only thing from here on that matters is what's been done for Christ. Now think about it. That's what went through my mind. Everything else means nothing. Everything else I ever worried about. Everything else I ever dithered over. Everything else I ever fretted about means nothing. The only thing that matters at this point on is what's been done for Christ. And that's what went through my mind. And I woke up. And I was in Port St. Joe, asleep, 2 o'clock in the morning. I rolled out of bed, and I got down on my knees. And I said, Lord, help me to always know that the most important thing in this life is what we do for God, what we do for Christ, helping other people to be saved, and being able to say, Lord, I'm doing this for your kingdom, your glory, your cause, your purpose. Praise the Lord. And I want you to know here today that it's more important than anything else that we do is that what we do for Christ is the only thing that will ever last. The only thing that will ever last. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me for a moment and let's just lift our hands and pray. You have been a good audience here and I've tried to express my heart here in this little parable. And and, uh, you folks, I know you love the Lord or you wouldn't be here tonight. And I want you to also know that Everything you do will be rewarded. Everything, everything. There's nothing that will not be unrewarded. Jesus will do it. I want you to lift your hands and let's just worship God for a moment here. Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord, tonight. We thank you, Lord. You've been so good to your people. You're so good to us, God. And, oh, Lord, we come out of all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of situations and all kinds of circumstances, Lord. We've come from every walk of life, Lord, but you love us all, every one of us, every one of us. I don't care where we came from. I don't care what the background was. I don't care what what was out there in the world that we might have been in. Lord, you love us. And, Jesus, we ask you here tonight, Lord to let that love grow in our hearts. Help us, Lord, who are in the body of Christ, to reach out to others, to be a friend to those that feel like they have no friends. And, Lord, to be close to those that feel like 
that there's nobody that cares. Lord, we want to represent you like the innkeeper did, represented the Good Samaritan to that man. And, oh, Lord, we ask you, Jesus, to send us others like that. Send them our way, Jesus, and trust us, Lord, to put them in our midst, to put them in our care. And, Lord, we'll do everything we can to love them, to show them, Lord, the ways of the Lord, to instruct them on better ways of life in living for Christ. God, we thank you, Jesus, for so many things. Bless this congregation, Lord, here tonight. Bless your people, Lord. Bless those that couldn't be here, Lord. Bless those, Lord, that have observed all of this on the Internet tonight. God, we thank you for truth and for salvation and for the gospel. And we give you the praise and the glory for all things. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, praise the Lord. God bless you. Praise the Lord. You're dismissing his name. Everybody shake hands or bump elbows or whatever you do. You're dismissing his name.